This week on Next in Marketing, I spoke with Brad Feinberg, North American Vice President of Media and Consumer Engagement at Molson Coors. Brad surprised me with how frank he was about what he wants to see from the TV ad market. Spoiler alert, he doesn't want a few dozen clean room solutions and he isn't losing sleep over currency debates. Brad and I also spoke about his hopes for more innovation in TV creative and why he's still not sure how big video game advertising can be. Let's get started. Everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next in Marketing. Welcome to Next in Marketing. My guest this week is Brad Feinberg. He's the North American VP of Media and Consumer Engagement at Molson Coors. Hey, Brad. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Lots to talk to you about, um, but, but we should probably just start with what you do. I have a, I have a pretty decent sense of what the media part of your job entails, yeah. um, but what about the consumer consumer engagement thing? What does that mean? Yeah, so uh, I describe it as I am the kind of uh, capability building slash uh, kind of center of excellence for all of marketing uh, for Molson Coors. And so... My role is kind of a jack-of-all-trades role um, that oversees a lot of different functions within the organization, about which we are trying to continue to modernize our marketing capability. So media, as you indicated, yep, media is, I think, fairly easy to understand. I oversee uh, media strategy um, and investment across our, our entire portfolio brands, primarily for U.S. and Canada, uh, with some consulting uh, oversights to some uh, LATAM, which is another uh, market of ours. Uh, and then um, on the on the other two verticals I oversee, I also oversee precision and digital marketing. So I think of that as CRM, data strategy, uh, marketing analytics and optimization, website creation, so digital marketing operations. And then the third pillar of my department is in the area of creative services. And so we have uh, agency operations, we manage all of our agency relationships, and uh, we, do, we, have, we do creative. So I have an in-house creative team with Volt Studio, um, as well as a team that does uh, packaging design. Let's make sure I understand what, I'm a, what, what uh, there's a, a, probably a lot of brands in there. What are, what are some of the brands? I'm going to guess sure. like, you know, Coors Light and Molson, but you tell me. Yeah, no, and we have a portfolio of over 35 different uh, beverage brands. And we, um, back in 2019, we transformed from Molson Coors, the uh, beer company to Molson Coors, a beverage company. And so the beverage uh, change, while it might seem small, uh, really kind of opened the opportunity and the aperture to look at um, other parts of beverage. So think of that as non-alcoholic uh, brands and such. Um, the brands that you that I think uh, your audience and people will be pretty familiar with are some of those big um, uh, beer brands. So for example, Miller Lite, uh, Coors Light are our two biggest brands in, in the U.S. and in our portfolio. Um, they represent a, a, a pretty... Um, a sizable share of the entire uh, beer category in, um, in the U.S. Uh, we also have brands like uh, Blue Moon, um, which was born uh, in uh, Colorado, actually born at the Colorado Rockies Stadium about over 25 years ago. Did not know that. Uh, I know. Yep. I, I think of that as a you know way more crafty than the other ones you mentioned. But I didn't 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 realize For that. Sure. And then we have you know we have 
brands like Miller High Life, Coors Banquet, which is uh, next year will be the 150th anniversary of that brand. So that brand has been around for an incredibly long time. Uh, And then we have new to market brands, brands like um, Topo Chico Hard Seltzer, which we launched uh, this year nationally and with a joint venture with the Coca-Cola company. Busy hard seltzer, which is as the hard seltzer category is is has been on fire, um, and then we just launched um, Simply Spiked um, again as a joint venture with the Coca Cola Company, okay. um, and then most we have a whole Canadian portfolio. Most Molson, obviously, most sure. Canadian the Molson uh, brands um, are are pretty big up uh, to our friends in the north. I'm 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 personally out on seltzer. No, just so we just like just so we frame the terms of this conversation. Um, yes. I'm closer to uh, you're reminding me that doesn't um, doesn't Johnny Johnny Lawrence drink old fashioned cores predominantly? Correct. I'm probably yes, closer yeah. to him than the seltzer crowd, but <laughs> yes, he, he drinks Coors Banquet. That's been a fun little uh, uh, little kind of uh, giving some some love to that brand, and it's actually done some really nice things for that brand. As yeah, well. and it's completely perfect for that character. Um, yeah, Anyway, okay, that's a lot of stuff to get into. You, you, because you have you have probably a take on so many aspects of this industry because of all those brands and all the things you do. Um, but let's kind of maybe start with let's start with the TV conversation because I think, sure. um, you know, I think this the historically or the 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 stereotype might be well if you're if you're if you're a beer brand it's pretty simple man you just like buy lots of. NFL GRPs and some NBA and E-Rich guys who are on the couch and um, blow out the reach and have a fun spot and you're good. But you, as you mentioned, your half of your job is like this precision marketing title that I think people wouldn't necessarily associate with a beer company. Uh, so like, tell me where, how, how have you evolved? Where, where, where are you in terms of like, are you really pushing into, how much do you need to push into the data targeting world and get, get past the classic beer model? Yeah, I mean, I like to say that we follow the trends of the consumer, right? And so we, our brands have to be just as appealing to um, someone that has uh, been along the journey and is loyal to our brands and been around for a long time, maybe in their 40s or, or older and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of grew up in, in, on a Miller Lite and like it's, it's a brand they pick up, you know, often to a 22-year-old, 23-year-old that's just entering, you know, legal drinking age and um, looks um, looks a lot different than that other person, right? right. And their interests um, and behaviors are a lot different and, and the brands they pick up are a lot different and the choices are incredible today, right? There are over 5,000 brands available and you go to the shelf, that's really difficult to stand out. So. We need to find ways to continue to be relevant to all different types of consumers. And in order to do that, we need to look at uh, consumer behavior. We need to look at where consumers are spending our, their time. We need to understand um, the types of media channels that they, that they have affinities for and what, what, are, what for them are going to make a difference. And, and yes, sports has been uh, for, for our category for, you know, since, since the launch of the premium light category, which is like Miller Lite, Coors mm-hmm. Light and Bud Light, um, since those, uh, since those brands launched, you know, over 40 years ago, uh, sports has been a, a, a core, a cornerstone of the way we kind of compete in the market. However, 
we all know that that its relevancy today with the younger generations is not the same as it was with maybe my generation. Yeah, you could get all, all those uh, levels on the you know on sports pretty easily, but the 40, 30 years ago even, um, and that's just Correct. not the same anymore. Correct. It's not. So so I mean so that that is that has made us kind of look at um, consumer trends, consumer behaviors. Obviously, social media is a big place where consumers are you know spending time, whether they're using social media as they're watching sports or, or doing other things. Um, you know, there's, we've seen the pandemic unlock, um, obviously it's the streaming space as well. And, and I do think now that, um, you're seeing some movement in terms of, uh, the streaming properties starting to air live sports content or making investments mm-hmm live sports content Amazon this think, this Amazon this fall thir- with Thursday night football and more to come it seems like correct so I do think that's an inflection point right for other new channels and availability and it's our job as marketers to kind of understand those behaviors and make sure that we're showing up in the right places with the right brands and then with messaging that resonates with but them. so from in terms of the way you guys use data and targeting is it just using better measurement and data to, okay, well, this younger demographic that on television, but we need to reach them in CTV and maybe social and some other platforms. Is it simply a better, like, you know, better planning, smarter um, allocation of dollars? Or like, I don't envision you guys getting hard into like the direct to consumer marketing space where you're trying to retarget and get gather data, but I could be wrong. So where, where, where should I think about your data usage yeah, I would say it uh, from a data strategy standpoint. I mean, it, it is a lot of uh, what you describe in terms of using data that way. But I would even go even further to say that um, we use data to create uh, rich profiles to build CRM, right? To build one-on-one messaging where we can at scale to create more relevancy. It, like I said, it's a very crowded category with a lot of dollars um, invested in marketing. And uh, this is a category where we know historically and, you know, and as most recently, like marketing works, right? Marketing works for this category. Um, Yeah. Different than I would say other traditional CPG in particular, these, our brands are, are more akin to lifestyle brands than they are CPG brands, right? The what you yeah. So storytelling is is important. Correct. So what you pick up when you go to a bar or bring to a friend's house for a party is a reflection on you, right? It's very it's very identity centric kind of thing. It's different than going to the store and picking up I don't know um, cheese, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't have the same. Like I'm I'm a Velveeta guy, and you know if you don't get me, I'm sorry. Exactly. So so because of that, like we need to make sure that again showing up in the right spaces, but but building relationships with consumers is super important too, because those glean insights about behavior. And so when we think about using data, it's everything from uh, acquiring consumers, right? Into a database, really getting a, a much richer view of their interests and behaviors and how they interact with our brands. We have, we have dozens of touch points with consumers as individuals across, um, a lot of different things, right? We sponsor sporting events. We sponsor Mm -hmm. teams. Uh, we have, uh, we do things at bars. We do, you know, we do music festivals, um, local festivals. You know, we have, we have, uh, we have breweries that you can do a brewery tour. We have, 
So lots of moments to register and sign up right. for sweepstakes, package partnerships, whatever. So the more we find um, about them and their interests and, and hobbies, and we can create more customized messaging that is more appealing to them. And then that is the value of data is also to go and, and kind of aggregate some of those more macro, uh, uh, I guess, strategies and macro kind of learnings and, and transform them into lookalike modeling, right? Use that mm -hmm. data to say, all right, we know these types of people have an affinity with a particular brand. They're probably people just like them that are not people we are known to us yet. Let's go identify the places where we think they are so we can kind of uh, find opportunities for which we can right. also bring them into the into the franchise. But do you feel like, like I've, this is a generalization, but if, in the last year and a half or so where we're talking about cookies going away and all these changes, some brands in, sp in certain categories, it's like almost like a mad scramble. Like we need to get as much, pers uh, you know, we got to get, we got to rack up our email address or we are in trouble. Yeah. Do you feel like you've had to really dial up those efforts because of all that's going on? Or do you not have to change what you're, who you are because of, of, of the macro shifts? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, I wouldn't say that we are, I wouldn't describe it as scrambling. I think what we what we have done is to create very purposeful strategies in terms of consumer data acquisition with very um, tight targets on a brand by brand basis so that we can mm -hmm. get more uh, gain more knowledge on known consumer um, profiles that would allow us to drive greater uh, effectiveness and overall efficiency right. of our marketing spend. We know cookies are going away. Um, and I know that's been said probably if you were to record this podcast three years ago, they'd say the same thing. Yes. Um, and they're saying the same thing. We could just run best of Mike and it'll exactly. probably the same thing. Come exactly. on. <laughs> um, and, but, but it is inevitable, right? That the writing is on the wall, data privacy mm -hmm. regulations that are being um, written in, by legislative bodies on diff multiple different states as we speak. I know the federal government is looking at data privacy regulation as well. The, um, that's a whole nother, I don't have yep. any confidence in what they would do. But that being said, I think it, it is important for us, regardless of data privacy regulation, which is the key, I think, catalyst for all of this. I don't think it is a bad practice to know, know have known information on your consumers, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of brands have always been envious of the direct-to-consumer businesses, right? Sure. That can do closed loop marketing that have a, a ton of information on their consumers that allows them to kind of really hone in on um, what motivates that, those individuals and then build out programming against that. I think CPG um, and other categories like ours are catching up, trying mm -hmm. to get up to that. And I do think there is this value in both uh, performance based marketing and more brand equity based branding type of marketing kind of working together. And that's, that's an exciting place to be. And, and we see it as a long-term approach um, and, and a really strategic advantage um, at the end of the day. Okay, let's take a break. I'm here with OpenAP CMO, Brittany Slattery. Brittany, one of the things we keep hearing from marketers like Molson Coors is that while they're increasingly bought into data-driven TV advertising, they're concerned with perhaps having too many sources of data parked in multiple silos. Is that something you're hearing? Yeah, it is, Mike. And, and we know now, two years into this pandemic, that TV is no longer a singular lean-back experience in the living room. It spans multiple screens, multiple devices, and multiple programmers. 
brands and programmers are all investing in tech and first party data to keep pace with that shift of consumer behavior. But this has ultimately created even more fragmentation. As Molson Coors and others have said, advertisers need a consistent understanding of who is consuming content across their holistic buy so they can ultimately tie that back to business outcomes. But to get that apples to apples comparison, this requires interoperability across systems, the processing of big data, and ID resolution between multiple data sets. And that's really where OpenAP has been focused. By activating an audience against the consistent OpenID identity spine, OpenAP unifies audience targeting, ad delivery, and measurement across all TV advertising buys. So marketers can see not just how many people were reached, but who was reached across their entire campaign. And so brands are now the beneficiary of richer cross-platform campaign data, like unexposed and unexposed audiences of their campaign, which we believe will ultimately reduce waste and improve the consumer ad experience. That makes sense. There's also this increased talk that brands don't want to recreate walled gardens in television. Can OpenAP help combat that? Absolutely, and, and it's true. Programmers are all investing heavily in their own unique data and tech solutions. But unlike the walled gardens, Mike, programmers have come together to compromise and work together through OpenAP to transform our industry for the betterment of advertisers, programmers, and the people who consume their content. OpenAP's role in enabling this shift is to make it easier for marketers to seamlessly execute data-informed campaigns that are targeted and measured using a consistent audience across any television viewing environment and screen. And that's not just across one programmer, but across the entire TV market. OpenAP has been the mechanism for amplifying the investments and innovation at each of the networks to establish standards and a common identity framework for all of TV with a shared goal of giving brands more actionable data to inform their marketing strategies. Okay, thanks, Brittany. Now back to Brad. All right, I want to um, I want to circle back to television again. Yeah. And I, I do want to ask you about all the currency discussions and Nielsen, but... Um, Maybe maybe we start with going back to what you had said earlier. It's an obvious thing, but you you know you are often trying to reach younger demographics right now with some with some of your brands. They um, they were never they were never that you know they were never that easy to reach, but it's it's that much harder now. So you know the obvious things to do are hey do more um, you know do more CTV, do more YouTube, do more TikTok. But I I imagine that is really hard to figure out the best way to do that because those those platforms are changing and emerging, and the data measurement stuff isn't totally there yet. I guess, how challenging is it just to isolate? If I want to, you know, reach people in their 20s right now, is it is it baffling? Is it simpler than I think? I wouldn't describe it as baffling. Um, I, that would, that would, that would, I wouldn't have a job if I were baffled by... Yes, I just guess. I have no idea. We've, we've, we hope it works. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we lean in on, right, we lean in on... Um, looking at any um, data points that are available in terms of time spent. So looking really at consumer behavior, where where that shift of behavior is. I mean, it's pretty clear and indicative of you look at what had always been the scale and size of traditional linear television. Um, and you look at the ratings erosion over the last 10 years and what has happened in the pandemic and and where um, and where really uh, the streaming platforms are investing more heavily in original content and high quality content, yep. right? At the end of the day, the individual is going to go to what is the best available content, no matter what device it is on, whether it's a streaming platform, whether it's on your computer or like watching YouTube, mobile phone, 
um, on a linear TV set, but maybe through streaming as well. Um, could even be in movie theaters. Um, we, we, we kind of monitor and review those consumer behavior trends, look at where the audience's mm-hmm. skill is going, and then look for ways for us to reach consumers in those spaces. We do have, um, we do have the ability to use some of our, anal- like, as I said at the uh, onset of our conversation, I also see marketing analytics and optimization. So we do have a view of uh, what marketing investments are working best for us or actually driving mm-hmm. real business value and business results. And we do have that view um, is encompassing of, of, of CTV, of linear TV, right? We have, we have the ability to kind of see at a very granular level. And that is that that is more of the focus in terms of those invest of where we're making investments than probably anything else. And is that because you have built something that works for you, or you have your or, or something? Because like my guess, where I was going is, yeah, you can you can figure out. Okay, our young t- target drinker is probably on YouTube, TikTok, and some CTV. But figuring out how many of them we reached and how that worked together is very difficult, seemingly. So you you figured something out on your own, or how, how's that working? Yeah. So we we have a. Pre- proprietary solution in place that is designed around uh, multi-touch attribution modeling. Um, And uh, that solution allows us to have a view of um, impact on sales or sales lift uh, or return on ad spend. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're able to use exposed versus unexposed data sets uh, that allow us to then understand, like I said, at a pretty granular level, what is driving purchase and short term? I think that the, the, the big caveat to all that is that um, it's it's a great tool and somewhat of a, uh, I would call it more of a scalpel precision like instrument that allows us to look at short term results, but what it does not do. And I think marketers for the, since the beginning of time, they've always tried to understand the long term impact on brands and a lot of sure. the younger audiences that you describe take longer to move down the funnel, right? And, and they're, right. They're, they're long-term projects. Um, and therefore we do look at things like brand health and penetration as other variables of data um, to understand if we're moving the needle and, and we're able to, again, correlate that back to some of the media. And, and quite frankly, in, a lot, in many cases, um, the creative. I, I don't think looking at media effectiveness or media impact um, without creative is an an effective way to measure the success of a brand's performance or understand what um, is working that's resonating with the consumer because creative, I believe, um, it represents probably the lion's share, whether you call it 70% or or more of the value of your marketing comes through the way your creative performs against a certain audience. So it's, it's super. That's it's probably often underappreciated um, in this programmatic world. I want to come back to creative in, in a little bit, but um, would you have built what you've described as multi-touch attribution um, package that you, if, if the, if there were an easier answer out there to measure audiences cross platform through one of the researchers, would you have still done this? Or do you, is this sort of like, we can't do, we can't, Nobody can help us. We got to do it ourselves. It, it's a good question. I would say uh, there are, I mean, there are a lot of uh, ad tech companies that have uh, a, 
the ability to kind of do this type of work. Um, and we mm-hmm. do have, I mean, to be clear, like we do have external partnerships when it comes to sure. business, um, this, this type of solution. Um, that said, um, I also oftentimes tell our inside our company um, and, and even in times when I speak um, more uh, more formally outside the company, I talk about um, you know data sources colliding. And so for me, the interest isn't necessarily in all the different external solutions that can do this. It's, it's minimizing the sources of truth so that mm-hmm. you don't have too many data sources coming into the organization that that are using different methodologies or, or different um, uh, data sets that can yeah. create confliction in the outputs of the information. And so right. marketers get confused when they look at different tools um, that can potentially tr- maybe designed to answer different questions, but start to answer the same questions over time. Yeah. And then they don't know how to react to that or what to do. And they become paralyzed right. by it. What so, do I do? I don't know what this means. And it's mushing things together that exactly. I was trying to understand. Or this, one's, or this one says, this is doing great. And this one says, it's not doing great. Yeah. Which one do I go after, right? If you're a marketer, you're 99% of the time going to pick the solution that is doing great, right? Yeah, this uh, this scale says I lost weight. That's that, that one's right. Exactly. So so I think so for me, um it is it is using the right external sources to fit the gaps that we can't, you know, it together, bringing those all those mm-hmm. things together, but minimizing the overlap. Okay. Speaking of uh, potentially confusing data points, uh, lots of talk this year, last year about um, the big the big TV companies and brands experimenting with the new currencies, either either to back up what they're already doing or to shift totally. Where are you guys right now in this testing, learning, going all in, a little bit of both? Yeah, I mean, we we, we do uh, follow, uh, again, we follow a lot of what our agent, we work with Publicist Media as our, as our media agency. Mm-hmm. So they, they have built into deals the opportunity to kind of test and learn on some of these new currencies. Um, like for me, again, um, it, it's, it's less important to get the right currency as it is to have the marketing analytics capabilities to understand what's performing best. And if I can do that at a granular level on my end, because at the end of the day, I don't care as much about what the rating points are or what the Mm -hmm. audience is. Um, What I care about most is did that particular ad on that particular, in that particular placement you know, at that particular time, drive any, you know, did that drive a purchase intent or did that drive yeah. an actual purchase or did that drive some other parts of the marketing funnel? And if I can get smarter at that, then the currencies themselves are great from a buying standpoint because they, they help us get the most value out of the spend. But in terms of making future decisions as to where we spend our dollars, I'm more going to be focused on those that are linked to business results. Right. There, there was a, I was at a, at Cannes and someone, there was a, a woman from Forrester, Joanna O'Connell was moderating a, a panel on this. And she was like, I'm from the digital world. Yeah, we care about currency, but we're going to evaluate each buy based on how well it does anyway. And our own criteria, like, what are you guys getting hung up on? And it, it's interesting because TV is going to be facing these seemingly conflicting schools of thought at some point, if they're yeah. not already. 
Yeah, I think the conversation on currency um, was really, I mean, it came out of the fact that there was uncertainty as to whether the currencies that were being used were an accurate reflection of the real, of the audiences, right? Mm -hmm. And brands, right, don't want, you don't want to overpay for a particular media buy if the, a lot of that's driven by audience guarantees, right? I would argue I rarely see a media buy on television deliver an audience guarantee, right? It does not happen often, right? In most cases, it under delivers. You got to do something, some squeaking, some makeup, something. Right. But but that being said, like, I think we need, as media professionals and as an industry, we need to have the confidence that the data we're that 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 we are seeing in terms of the audiences that the a media company we're holding them to is accurate right it, yeah and, and and if it is not which is why i think people are pushing more forward to that example that you said it can that we want more digital like data from tv yeah. that we get from digital right there's in in today's day and age with the technology solutions that are available there's no reason why we as marketers can't have that right um, right and so that that to me is more of the point than getting to a single currency. It's more about a confidence in the data that we're getting. What about, there was a lot of uh, talk at can about the needs for, like you, you see groups where the, the TV industry sort of needs to come together and have more common audience definitions. I was in an open AP event where they were, they were talking about the, like, you know, unified clean rooms and let's not have all this fragmentation. Um, and the buy side was even talking about, we need to get the Iraq together and do the same thing. But at the same time, every network group and every agency also has their own special thing that they're out there touting in the market. Is that, I don't know if you have a, if a opinion on whether, whether that's just the way the market's going to be or if that's frustrating, where you'd like to see things go? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think what you're getting at is a, is a potential concern for the future of how we measure things and that I do feel like that on the buy side or on the, sorry, on the sell side, you're starting to see a lot of publishers, networks and so forth, build their own walled gardens of clean rooms, right? Um, Which is great, except that consumers don't live in that, right? They don't live exclusively to that. And so from a marketer's perspective, or maybe even from an agency's perspective, it's fairly limiting to look at consumer behavior in um, any one of those particular walled gardens. It, and I, I would argue it's not, there's very little value to me for that. Um, mm. What's more interesting to me is something that is a more open AP type of solution where where the, I think if, if the publishers were really in the interest of the marketers, they, w- they would be looking for an open environments that allowed, like put themselves there, like roll the dice a little bit, see how they perform against other uh, solutions. It adds a little bit of competitiveness and, uh, but also some capabilities so that um, marketers can have that view. And that's where I think, you know, obviously the legacy um, social media companies have always, we've, I mean, marketers such as us have struggled with is that they can give me a great view of what's inside their well, yeah, just within the Facebook universe. But I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know if that that 
Facebook target that I created, how well it, like, did they see it on TV too? Did they see my ad mm-hmm. in my NFL buy, right? Like, is there a value that the one plus those two that combined actually drove a greater result in terms of a sales lift or a sales impact? That visibility is why I think marketers are building what I described, like their own solutions to kind of get yep. clearer across different channels um, what are the key motivators? Because the reliance on the um, the more sophisticated marketers, that is, but I, I think the reliance on uh, the third parties to create that themselves or the publishers create that themselves it is, I think it's time wasted. Um, what about on that, to that point, uh, CTV, again, we talk about like, there's so much promise there, it's growing. There would seem to be similar problem or challenges there in that, like the promise is you're going to be able to know exactly what you bought and who you're reaching. And that's, you could do that to some degree, but you know, the Roku's and Amazon's of the world sort of have their own identity data that they're going to not give you as much as you want of. And all the TV manufacturers are doing that and the services. How are you finding navigating that and trying to figure out reach and you know, how many times you're reaching somebody and who they are, all that stuff is even though, it's probably the same. It's probably similar, but different sort of yeah. circumstances. I mean, to be clear, like the CTV promise is really at the household level, right? They're not, they don't have the ability to know in many cases, well, it depends. Like I think some of them are coming up with more sophisticated solution where you can actually log into your own individual account. But many of them are really still household based data or who, who owns Yeah, I'm using Hulu and it's my wife and I and my kids right. and no one knows. You, know, you don't it's, know it's, who, who is all in the room, right? So I think you right. need to aggregate that up to the household, I think. And, but I, I still think household data is valuable. I, I think, though, to your question and to your point, right, there are a lot of competing um, solutions out there. I think the things you look at, um, um, at least from my opinion, that you look at in terms of where you should be focusing your investment on or where you think the right opportunities are, or the looking at things obviously that have scale in the market, right? Are, are you getting, are you, can you, can you see and have a view of a size level per percentage of the consumers you're looking for? B, I think their innovation pipeline, something you need to look at, right? You need to look at these individual companies to see, are they just building a solution and staying put on it, or are they continually mm-hmm. iterating and coming up with new technology solution? And then three is the level of accuracy and granularity, because I think those companies that have the ability to give you that are the ones that are, that are the ones that are going to be around for a long time. And then I guess like there is one other thing um, I would say is um, obviously it would be in the area of the speed at which they can provide the information, right? Right, because right. In, in today's day and age, agility is a cornerstone of every marketer's um, needs and desires because what happened a week ago or a month ago is irrelevant to predicting the future. And so knowing, having that data in a, in a, in a way that comes quickly and consistently and accurately um, is where the value is in those types of opportunities. Right. Um, speaking of moving quickly and being more accurate, you, you kind of mentioned the power of creative and how important that is to you. Yeah. Um, again, historically, TV was about like having the big hero spot that you ran everywhere and spent a lot of money on it. And it's still like that to a degree. Some brands have lots of, lots of campaigns anymore. But would you like to see television get to a place that it's, 
and maybe not exactly like display advertising where you can make 3000 variations, but where you can be more reactive and have different creatives ready and more customized stuff. And is it realistic? Those are two questions. If it's realistic yes. and whether I want it to be that way yes. or two different. Things. I want lots of things that aren't realistic. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think what you're hitting on is, is what marketers want to see innovation in the medium. Right. I think that yeah. I think some of the, I think, you know, if you think about it, um, I had someone tell me years ago and I fully buy, buy this is the more, more people have or more consumers have exposure to environments do not have advertising, the less patience they have for advertising. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so if you're a Netflix user and uh, Uber user and you're, and you don't like you spend a lot of time in front of commercials, we'll see what happens when Netflix launches an ad supported solution. Mm -hmm. But regardless, right, like the, that one time when you go back and you watch the NFL game that you want to watch on Sunday and it's you're like, Oh my ad, God, these interrupts like, is crazy. Like, yeah. Oh, you're, yeah. You're, it's a bit jarring. So I do yeah. think there is room for us to reinvent the medium a little bit. I, I would, I would mm -hmm. encourage and, and, um, and really advocate for um, publishers and others to come up with, like borrow from other media channels that are doing it successfully. So to your point, whether it is more real-time adjustments that can be made or more personalization um, mm -hmm. availability as we can do in digital media, that convergence I think is and can be on the horizon. Um, it's just a matter of uh, the uh the publishers um, and the, the big media companies really investing the capital resources and that type of innovation and right. marketers job for demanding it really for pushing um, it. Right. Do I think it could happen. I do. I do think it, this is a market that's ripe for change because I do think because of audience declines, because um, streaming is becoming way more prominent um, or dominant of a form to consume content. Um, I see that they're, that, that looking for where those things start to converge is only a natural evolution of what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you, and brands are getting accustomed to it. And, you know, they're used to being quick and dirty on Snap and TikTok and, you know, trying stuff and changing it. So they're going to want that everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you remember yeah. a couple of years ago, I think it was Fox that came up with like a six second ad, right? Yes. Like, yes. Oh, right. So let's, let's try six seconds. Yeah. Maybe that was not, I mean, they're, and they, they're, they're right. Their insight was, yeah, that's YouTube six seconds, right? Like that's right, how right. consumers can serve YouTube and then they can hit skip. So let's come up with something. I don't think it was a bad experiment. I think it was the right thing to think about maybe a little bit ahead of its time, but sure. I do, I do think that that's the type of innovation. Maybe not that not doesn't feel as very that's like a, probably a baby step on innovation, but still seemed profound at the time. But I do think that's the type of innovation we need to be looking for, for yeah. those types of players to come back to. Yeah. Them. It's whatever ver you need to find versions of that that are sort of native to CTV or whatever the medium is going to be. Correct. Um, Brad, I want to, I want to let you go in a moment here. This is terrific. But one last thing I would, I don't want to fail to mention is you mentioned how many of your brands are trying to reach younger consumers and their habits are changing there is a lot more um, excitement again um, on uh, regarding gaming and in-game advertising. And obviously the gaming consumption that's boomed in the last couple of years right. is probably driving some of that. 
it, there, it still seems to be a medium where you can do a lot of sponsorship like things and things around the game, which are great. But if I don't know if you see, view it as the place where you can rack up the, the equivalent of GRPs or big audiences in big chunks like television. Are we getting there? Is that something you're looking for? Yeah, it, I think it depends because gaming, just saying gaming has, there's a lot of ways in on gaming, right? Yes. Um, and we've, we've, we have experimented with gaming for a few of our brands for the past few years. I think there's some inherent challenges for our category. One is age, right? Even though you, yep. there's a, I mean, um, you do see um, gaming is definitely older than I think um, you got to worry about 21 year olds. Correct. Um, so that's a B interestingly, those that are more, um, I would say native gamers or more serious about gaming, drinking alcohol while gaming are, are don't really go hand in hand. They're actually, their, their cognitive abilities and ability to focus is a cornerstone of like, we, we want to make sure whatever we do comes across in a very authentic way. And yeah, it's always yeah. been a challenge in some cases to look at the space and figure out what is our way in. Um, and then three, um, a lot of it is like a lot of the sports games in particular, while there are plenty of opportunities for our brand to show up in a more native environment, most of it is just, um, I would describe it as billboard like advertising. It's like out yeah. of advertising in a game. I'm not sure while that creates it makes a more authentic look and feel inside the game for the player i'm not it's not the same thing as sitting through a 30 right it's it's not as um it's not as engaging or immersive as i think it would be to do other forms of media and so i think for brands need to kind of figure out how they fit in those types of spaces i think Mm -hmm. brands that can be more integrated into the storyline of a game or like become a character in the game I think there's a ton of opportunity there, no different than it is when we do product placement or find ways to integrate into theatricals or into long form entertainment. Um, but it, it, but it, but just to do billboard advertising or others, that's where I, yeah. kind of, I struggle with the value. Yeah, you want to, you want to stick to media where the where losing cognitive ability over time is is welcome, like sporting events. <laughs> <laughs> I said that you didn't. Um, all right, Brad, we could talk about this for three hours, but this is awesome stuff. Thank you for taking so much time out and going deep in these, these topics, and hopefully we'll chat again down the road. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me. A big thanks to my guest this week, Brad Feinberg, North American Vice President of Media and Consumer Engagement at Molson Coors, and my partners at OpenAP. If you like this week's episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing.